Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Well, if you would turn with me to Genesis 39. We'll be there in a minute. Continuing for the next couple weeks. In Genesis, uh, and looking at the last few threads that I've found, of course, I'm sure there's many more, but I am running out of ones that I've found. So, Genesis 39, and the thread that I want to talk about tonight, I'll just put it out there and let it be the theme for the whole time. And I know other ones, other Sermons I've left you hanging until the very end to really tell you what it is. But the thread I want to talk about tonight that I see as a theme in the book of Genesis is that of lying and deception, telling falsehoods. Lying is obviously a big deal to God. It's uh, in the Ten Commandments out of all 613 laws. We talked about this morning. Uh, it is amongst the ten which are sketched in stone by the finger of God. It makes those ten. In the book of Proverbs, <clears throat> lying is one of the seven abominations to God. It makes that list of seven. In Revelation, God says that there are, he gives a list of types of sinners, you could say, which are in the lake of fire, and liars are amongst the murderers, sexually immoral, and idol worshipers, which God sees worthy to mention. And it's, of course, the direct opposite of God's very nature. When Jesus makes a point to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus, in his very nature, is the personification of truth. And that's why he gives the title to Satan, the father of lies. And so lying and deception and telling of falsehoods is a massive deal, a big deal to God. And it's a big theme in the book of Genesis. Leading up to this passage, we've looked at a lot of stories which This thread has woven through, which we haven't really hit on exactly. We've mentioned it here and there, but never really honed in on that theme as we've gone through the book of Genesis. We know that Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife two times. Sarah, his wife, lied when she was asked if she was laughing about the fact that God could give her a child at the age that she was. She she lied. said, no, I didn't laugh. Isaac, like his father, lied about Rebekah being his wife. Rachel, that's Jacob's wife, lied about stealing from her dad Laban when they had left. They chased her down, said, who took those things? Rachel, she lied. Jacob, her husband, lied about being his brother Esau when he wanted the family blessing. And he put the fur on his arm. Joseph's brothers lied about Joseph's death. They 
covered his cloak in blood and said he had gotten mauled by a beast. Tamar lied, Genesis 38, about being a prostitute, while she wasn't, in order to sleep with her father-in-law so that he might give her a son, Judah. (laughs) In giving that entire list, there's certainly one lesson to be gleaned from that, and that is that the story of God's people is not made up of roses and lilies. It's messy. It's really messy. The book of Genesis and the rest of the books in the New Testament and Old Testament canon, they're not PG or PG-13 even. The story of God's people in a fallen world trying and failing miserably to live for God It's a messy story. And yet God never gives up on his people. So I think for you and for me, that's an encouragement. Before we get into the theme of lying in Genesis, that is an encouragement. When you see the the track record of God's people lying about the things that they lie about nonetheless, and God sticking with them, I think it's encouragement to you and I that if we feel like our stories and our lives are too messy for God to clean up and God to work with. We need to think again and read the book of Genesis. God enters into that mess by taking on flesh and experiencing it firsthand and the repercussions of man's sin in this world, and so God is far from running away from your mess and my mess, and I think that's a great encouragement. But in just this track record that I just mentioned from Abraham and Sarah to Isaac and Rachel and Jacob and Joseph's brothers and Tamar, we, we learn that no one is exempt in God's people. No one is exempt from the temptation of lying and of deceiving And I would say you're deceiving yourself if you think that you are not capable of deceiving others. You're exercising it at the very moment. (laughs) You think that you wouldn't deceive somebody because you're deceiving yourself. We are all tempted by and at times fall into the snare that is lying. That's a really big deal. And we lie for various reasons, selfish reasons. Which leads us to the present passage that I want us to look at tonight in Genesis 39. It's the story of Potiphar, the wife of Potiphar. (laughs) Joseph, just to give you a little bit of context, Joseph has been thrown into a pit by his brothers. And they sell him into slavery. Tell their father that he has been killed by a beast. And so he's taken by some traitors down to Egypt, and sold to a man named Potiphar. And he works diligently, and he works, works hard. And Potiphar ends up trusting him a lot, and so much so that he entrusts everything to Joseph, except for, he says, you can't touch my wife. And so Joseph is a respectful man, and respectable, and he honors that 
And we saw last week that Potiphar's wife, Potiphera, made a move on Joseph. And uh, in our looking at the theme of garments and robes, she rips off his robe and he runs out of the house trying to get away from her. And just a side note on the whole Potif- Potiphar and Potiphera, fun fact, I had a, the previous church that I was at, congregants, uh, Pat and Pat, they were married. Um, I think a lot of people called her Patty just to kind of make it easier, but it was Pat and Patty. And uh, they were married, and to make it even more amazing that they were born on the same day in the same hospital and met later in life, got married. Crazy. Pat and Pat, who'd have thunk, you know? And so, but anyway, that had nothing to do with this. I just thought of that whenever I was talking about Potiphar and Potiphera. Keeping you awake, people, keeping you awake. And so we find in this story of Potiphera trying to entice Joseph and Joseph running out. Now Potiphera is standing here with Joseph's cloak and a decision to make. How am I going to frame this narrative? How am I going to save my hide if he goes and tells people what just happened? How am I going to explain that I have his cloak? So she has a decision to make. To lie or not to lie. And that's where we pick up in Genesis 39, verse 11. And we're going to read through verse 18. This is what the word of God says. But one day... When he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by, that's Potiphera, caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled, and he got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household. She said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. She's talking about her husband. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and he cried out, he left his garment beside me, and he fled and got out of the house. And then she laid up his garment by her until his master, that's her husband, came in the home, and she told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and I cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. We'll stop there. The outline that I have in just looking at this briefly tonight is two reasons why we lie. And two remedies for our lying. It's not every reason why we lie. And it's not every remedy for lying. But there are two that I think are helpful in considering this passage. And, and uh, I get the, that outline, two, re- two reasons and two remedies. for uh, Sarah and I were driving the other night, um, hour and a half drive. And she fell asleep. And Judah's sleeping in the back. And so I put on an on a, um, audio book. And a book that I'd recommend to you. Uh, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Uh, I'll say it again if you want to write it down. Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. It's by Thomas Brooks, and he, and he really just gives multiple devices that Satan will use to ensnare you and trip you up in this life. And then he gives not only the devices of Satan, but the remedies 
that you can have in combating Satan in that. And I thought about that. I said, well, that's really actually helpful in considering this story tonight. Two reasons why we lie, and then two remedies for our lying. Let's go back through the passage and consider these things. Firstly, let's look at Potiphar's uh, lying to the male servants. So before she talks to her husband, she talks to who? The male servants. She, we see in verse 14, she called to the men of her household and she said to them, now notice closely what she says. See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. As soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me, and he fled, and he got out of the house. It's interesting in the context of the entire chapter, if you read everything before verse 11, she made a big shift in her view of Joseph. Earlier in the chapter, she saw Joseph as handsome. It says that. It says that she saw Joseph and found him handsome. And then... Here, she calls him Hebrew, with negative connotations to that. It's a slanderous term. She was handsome when he was a possible lover, in her eyes, and a Hebrew when he was her enemy. I don't know what you would take of that, but I think it's interesting that we can shift our view of people. And how we would characterize them and how we would identify them and what kind of names we would give them based on whether or not they're helpful for us or more of an issue for us. He identified him as handsome and good looking, charming when she liked him. And whenever it became a problem in her life, she started referring to him by his ethnic orientation and looking at him as just a Hebrew slave. I think it's really easy for all of us to shift our ways of seeing people according to whether or not we like them or not. But this leads into our first reason for lying. Reason number one for lying, it's in her nature to lie. It's in her nature to lie. There's no need to look any deeper than the obvious fact that she didn't have the indwelling, sanctifying spirit within her that would prompt her to do anything other than lie for self-preservation. She lied because it's natural to lie when you don't have Christ in your life. We don't have to look any further than that. And since it's a natural problem for anyone who doesn't have Jesus... then you and I are also capable of doing exactly what she did if we're not in close step with Jesus. It's true. I think it's really easy for you and I as we read this story, or a lot of stories in Scripture for that matter, to think that we are different and set apart from the individuals in the text that, oh, I would never, I can't believe that they would. But the reality is, is without Jesus, no, you, you would. You absolutely would. I absolutely would. And if you're not in close lockstep with Jesus, you will. You will. She shifts the blame. Do you notice that? In verse 14, she blames her husband. He brought a Hebrew in here. 
to laugh at us. She shifts her blame to her husband, and then she shifts the blame to Joseph. Really, I think she's trying to blame anybody but herself. This is anyone else's fault but mine. And the reality is, don't lie to yourself, and I won't lie to myself. Without the work of the Holy Spirit within us, we will do the same for self-preservation. It's like, it's like you're drowning in the water. Someone comes to help you, even somebody that loves you, and you know deeply, and you, and you love them, but what is your natural instinct is to climb on top of them for you to breathe. You'll pull them down for you to go up. It's natural and instinctual for you and I, without Christ, to do the same to people and blame shift if it's self-preserving to do so. So reason number one why she would lie is it's natural. Remedy number one, it's not something you and I can do, but only something God can do, that he gives us a new nature to combat this old nature. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 9, Paul writes, But now you must put them all away. He's talking about the old characters. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Can I tell you something? I hear this a lot when someone tries to justify what they've done. It's easy to play that card. Well, that's just, that's just how I am. Ever heard that? Just how I am. For the sins that we commit. When you feel like someone is coming off angry and aggressive. Well, that's just how, that's just how I am. That's just how I was raised. Don't look too much into it. That's just how I, that's how my siblings are too. Play that card. When, we're, when you find somebody to be rude and uh, sarcastic all the time in a d- rude way, careless with their words, I'll say, that's just my personality. I'm just a sarcastic kind of person. They just rule it off as, well, that's just my nature. And same with lying as well. You catch somebody in just the cycle of lying and they'll say, well, it just runs in my family. My parents did it, and their parents did it, and my siblings do it, and I do it. It's just, it runs in my family. It's in my genes. But when you're a Christian, that's not a card you can play anymore. It was your nature. And it's still the old nature that you're fighting, but you have a new nature which, which God has called you to put on. So it's no longer who you are. To be rude and sarcastic and and careless with your words. To be angry and aggressive towards other people. It's not a good excuse to say, well, that's just how I am. No, it's who you are to be kind and gentle and patient and honest. It's who you are if you are in, in Christ. So she lies to the The servants. Of the house. And then she waits for her husband to come home and she lies to him as well. Let's read that. Verse 16 through 18. Then she laid up his garment, that's Joseph's garment, by her until her master, sorry, his master came home. And she told him 
This is interesting. She told him the same story. I find it interesting that he said that, the writer. She told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and I cried, he left his garment beside me and he fled out of the house. Now, why I say it's interesting that the writer of Genesis said she told him the same story is because technically she did with a few minor tweaks in order to fit the person she was talking to and convince them to side with her. Did you notice this? When she was talking to the servants, he brought a Hebrew among us. See, these were Egyptian servants. He brought a Hebrew among us. They wouldn't like Hebrews. But when she's talking to her husband, what does she say? He brought a Hebrew slave. She wouldn't dare say that to the servants. That wouldn't get their help. That wouldn't get their support if she slandered Joseph by calling him a mere slave. So she kept that part out. He's a Hebrew, though. When she's talking to her husband, a Hebrew slave. Here. She's talking to the servants and she says, He brought a Hebrew to laugh at us. You and me, we're together in this. He, he brought in a Hebrew to laugh at us. So she's trying to identify with them and see them as equals so that they would support her. But when she's talking to her husband, he brought in a Hebrew slave to laugh at me here. What are you going to do about that? He's talking bad about your wife. She said me instead of us when she was talking to her husband. I think it's minor differences, but it's enough of the same story to be the same story, isn't it? But we also shift sometimes the way we tell a story depending on the audience so that we would elicit more support from them. She did. I think that's true for us too. We can frame things where it's just enough of the truth to maybe feel good at when we get put our heads down at night. But it's also just enough tweaked to where we know it would really catch their attention, the person we're talking to. So she tells her husband, he's a Hebrew slave and he's laughing at me. This leads to reason number two for lying. It's the fear of man. Fear of man. That's man's opinion, what people will think of you, whether or not you'll be judged by another person. It's the fear of man, why we would lie. For her, you almost have to sympathize with her why she would lie for self-preservation because she's fearful of what the consequences might be if her husband knew she tried to sleep with one of his slaves. At best, he would leave her. At worst, he'd have her killed. Think about what you might do in that situation. Not to justify her or support her, absolutely not. But in our humanity, be able to identify with the temptation and the urge to lie, certainly. For you and I, I think we do this all the time. We, we are fearful of what somebody might think of us, what they might say to us, and so we lie. 
It's the fear of man. In small things we do this. I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, but you ever call someone and you know you're running late? And you know you're supposed to be there right now? And so, for me, like I'm going home, I'll call Sarah, she's like, where are you? I thought you were supposed to be home. It's dinner time. Dinner's on the table. And I say, yeah, 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 I know. I'm, I'm, at the, I'm, at the, I'm passing the hospital right now. I'm about to turn on to Vandervert, just about to go right by hy V. I'll be there in 30 seconds. Reality is, I'm passing Sonic. You know what I'm talking about? Come on. Yeah. Yeah, the fear of man. It's a small thing. It's teeny. Why would I lie about that? I don't want to deal with the conflict. I don't want to deal with just easier. To, it, small things, we might lie because we're fearful of, and we just don't want to deal with the opinions of others, the frustration of others. It's the fear of man that would lead us to even lie in small ways, but also in big ways. much bigger than the one I just described. I know many will live years and years without anybody really knowing their deep, dark secret. Their addiction. Right? They'll never, they'd rather die than to confess the sin that they've been struggling with for 20 years. Maybe that's you. No one really knows the true you. Why? The fear of man. The fear of man. And it was true for her as well. She was scared of what her husband might do or say. And it's true for us. And this leads us to remedy number two. In combating this reason for lying. The remedy... For the fear of man leading us to lie would be to have a bigger view of God than the view of man. Have a bigger view of God than your view of man. That's the remedy. I was given a book when I was uh, uh, years back. I, would, I went to a counselor regularly and, and met with the counselor. and um, uh, gave me a book that still is one of the most impactful books for me, uh, at least in the time that I was in. Uh, and I read it, and it was called, When People Are Big, sorry, When God Is Small and People Are Big, or something like that. When People Are Big and God Is Small, that's it. When People Are Big and God Is Small. It leads us to sin. It leads us to lying. When people are big in our minds, when we care a lot about what people think, but we think very little, for a short amount of time, about what God would think. What will that lead you to do? But I think if we flip that, and God is big, what God thinks is big, and the consequences that men might give us for our actions, when that becomes smaller, and we start to look in the right perspective of things, we won't lie the way that we normally do. Will lie less when we rightly see man and we rightly see God through the right size of lenses. Think about it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. You don't have it on the screen. Let me mention. But Matthew 12, 36 says that on judgment day, every word that you have ever spoken 
will be taken into account. Just, just think on that with me for a second. Every word you've spoken, God remembers on Judgment Day. And Proverbs 19, verse 9 says that false witnesses, i.e. liars, will not go unpunished. Now, of course, the work of Christ on the cross will cover our sins. But think on that. That every word you've ever uttered will be considered and that sinners or liars will be judged. If we just saw that and the magnitude of that. And then I see Sarah getting frustrated with me about being three minutes late to dinner. Would I ever lie? And that's true even in big lies and big sins. She lied because she was fearful of man. We lie because we're fearful of men. The remedy is have a bigger view of God than your view of man. Have a bigger view of God than your view of man. You know, it's interesting. She has a con- uh, Joseph has a contrasting um, example for us than what she gives us. In chapter 39, she lies because she's scared of what men might think of her or say about her or do to her. Joseph, though, in the very next chapter, chapter 40, he sees God as bigger than man. You can just turn there. It won't be on the, or maybe it will be on the screen. I think I might have it. In the next chapter, chapter 40, um, let me just give you a kind of brief rundown before I read it. Yeah. Joseph's in jail because of what he was wrongly accused of. He's put in prison, and he comes across a couple guys, and he's talking with them. And uh, they say, hey, we've had a couple dreams. Are you able to interpret these dreams? And he says, yeah, sure. Uh, God can. What do you have? And so the first guy, the cupbearer, the chief cupbearer to the Pharaoh, he says, well, this was my dream. And, And Joseph gives him a very favorable interpretation, and it comes true. The man is reinstated to his position as the chief cupbearer. And so the second guy, the chief baker to the Pharaoh, he says, well, I hope that I'll have a favorable response to my dream as well. So he goes to, to Joseph and he says, hey, what's this mean? And now Joseph has a decision to make here because he knows the interpretation is not a good one. Is he going to lie? Because he wants to avoid some kind of discomfort with this guy? Or is he going to be honest? And respect the interpretation that God has given him. He's honest. You can read in Genesis 40, verse 18. It says, and Joseph answered and he said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets, this is about the man's dream. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Could you imagine being the messenger of that interpretation to the man? I don't know about you, but I would be tempted to avoid that conversation and say something else. But who's bigger? The man of God. That's what we have to think of. That's what Joseph knew. And it's true for Peter as well. If we go to the New Testament, I know we don't have time to really do a long study of lying in the New Testament tonight, but Peter did the same thing. At first, he didn't. He saw man as bigger than God, didn't he? When Jesus was on trial, 
people kept saying, don't you know this Jesus? Aren't you in a relationship with this Jesus? And he says, no, leave me alone. I don't know this Jesus. I have nothing to do with this Jesus. Three times he did that, and then he realizes his mistake. He cared more about the judgment and opinions of men than he did about God. People were big. God was small. And he learned from that because we know in the book of Acts early on, Peter is proclaiming the gospel out in the streets. The Sanhedrin or the the council, the Jewish leaders bring him in and they beat him. And they say, now we're going to release you, but you have to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. Quit telling people about this Jesus. Peter had a decision to make in that moment. You know what he says? Keep beating me. I won't stop. You can let me out, and I'll go do it again, and you'll beat me again. You know what he learned? He cared more about the opinion of God than the opinion of man. One reason for lying is the fear of man. The remedy, see God as bigger. See God as bigger. And sometimes, can I just be honest with you? Sometimes standing with Jesus in the truth means we have to carry the cross of your lie. Let me unpack what that means just for a minute. Standing with Jesus in the truth means you sometimes have to carry the cross that your lie has created. You know, real actions have real consequences. Adultery in marriage might lead to a legitimate consequence of divorce and the breaking of that covenant. But I think when we lie about it and we don't want to tell somebody of what we've done, really what we're saying to God is, I'd rather cover up my sin than you cover up my sin. God, I think I I like my way of covering up my sin better. But telling the truth means, God, I'm going to trust you that you're going to cover my sin here. I'm going to trust you to cover my sin instead of me covering my sin. And Sometimes that means you have to carry the cross that your sin has created. It means joining Jesus and embracing the suffering. But it's worth it. It's worth it. So... I encourage you tonight as we're wrapping up, we're considering this really heavy and difficult passage. Assess why you are most tempted to tell lies. And you have to be honest with yourself. You are tempted to tell lies. We all are. But why is it? Is it just because your nature within you is stronger than the nature that God has put within you? If so, I'd encourage you to get alone with God and pray, pray passionately that his spirit would empower you to conform to his image and that you would kill your old self through his strength in you. If it's just because that's just natural to you and it's just ingrained into your genes and it's your DNA just because your parents did it and the parents before them did it, 
get alone with God and say, God, help me that your nature that you've put within me would be stronger than my nature. That's sinful. Get alone with God and pray. Is it because you're fearful of man? If so, I would encourage you to think long and hard about the bigness and the eternality of God and the smallness of man and the temporal nature of their judgment. It's short term, but the judgment of God is eternal. May we think on these things and that they might be remedies to our temptation to lie. Regardless of your reasoning, we have a calling to be people of truth, for he is the truth, and we're his people. So may we live like it and conform to his image. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 